Good morning, Christ Church. Uh, every now and then, we uh, return to one of the themes of our worship. We gather around word and sacrament. And um, the sacrament is a reference to what happens here at the Lord's table. And we share in this, this communion together every week. And, um, and so periodically, we'll talk about what does that mean? And today's one of those days. We're going to look at what is happening here when we take communion. But today, we're going to frame it in, uh, in terms of, or come at it at, at this, from this angle of our series, which is becoming who we are. Now, if you've been here the past few weeks, you know what we mean by that. Becoming who we are is we're talking about we become who we are. We live into our identity by remembering. And there's things that the Bible tells us that to, to do as ways of remembering. We've heard about things like remember that you were slaves, and it's that journey into freedom in Exodus. Uh, today, for example, is, is when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So it's an explicit command. This is really the kind of pinnacle of remembrance. This, when we come to this table, this is our weekly practice entering most consistently and in depth into what it means to remember. So some of you, if you've been around a while, this might sound a bit familiar. I know when I came into uh, the Anglican Church for the first, years ago, from a background where we didn't do communion every week, it took a while for me to really kind of enter into and even understand what's actually happening. Some of you have just come in the past uh, few months or even few years, and you might still be kind of growing into an understanding, and in fact, even as I say that, I'm aware that I think it's a lifelong kind of growing into the meaning and the depth and the beauty and the richness of what it means to share in the Eucharist. At the Last Supper, just before Jesus went to the cross, he is with his disciples, and they're in a room that's called the Upper Room, they have this meal together. That is often referred to as the Last Supper. And most people know about this, whether even Christian or not. Um, all the imagery, there's that Da Vinci painting of the Last Supper. It's just kind of an iconic image, that Last Supper that Jesus has with his disciples. Well, at that meal, he gathers them together and he says, I want you to remember me by just doing one thing. Like, I'm about, I'm about to go. I'm not going to be with you. And there's just this one thing I want you to do to remember me. And he says, have dinner together. <laughs> have a meal. And in that meal is the remembrance. And so then he goes into a meal with them and kind of, in a way, memorializes this moment in the meal where he takes two of the kind of basic ingredients of the meal, the food and drink, the bread and the wine, and he wraps that up into his own story of being our nourishment, our salvation. A few years ago, um, we had some art up around the property, and, um, and there was one piece that um, particularly just kind of really grabbed my attention. And uh, Becca, I'm looking at you because it was your piece. And um, I've shared this once before with the congregation. Um, Becca is an artist in our, in our parish, and she did a scene of this Last Supper and so I'm going to put this up, and then I'm going to carry this through, and all the slides that we have, we're going to have this uh, image up there. But take a look at this. I love this piece, the way it shows people from all walks of life. Uh, like John's vision in Revelation 17, you know, we just heard a passage of that 
marriage supper of the Lamb, gathering people from all, every tribe, tongue, and nation, all gathered, all walks of life. And as I looked at this piece and I, I thought about it, I was reminded again of that Da Vinci painting with all the disciples on one side of the table, and there's Jesus at the center. But here, where Jesus would be, it's empty. And where he would be, there's this toppled glass of wine, and there's breadcrumbs, pieces around it. And, you know, you can read several things into it, and some of them might be intended, and some of them might be just kind of layers that, as a viewer, we, we see, see things we see happening. And I remember when I first looked at this, I thought, I wonder, is this Jesus has ascended to the Father? And so there's a sense in which the community remains, but Jesus is gone, and he's ascended to the Father. Is that what's happening there? Um, I also noticed kind of the, the spilt wine and all the, you know, like, brainstorming interpretations, it looks like a pretty messy moment, and, um, and, and one thought that passed through my mind, which I know is not Jesus, but kind of like, I am fed up with this, and I'm out of here. Everybody's spilling their milk, and everybody's crazy. Of course, that's not what's happening, but anyway, I, I, I talked with, with Becca, and she told me a little bit more of, of, of what, as you look at it, becomes almost, um, you can't unsee it, and it's, it's so beautiful, and that is that Jesus is there. So the absence has the effect of then it drawing you to the presence. The absence of what you expect to see there, Jesus, then draws your eye to the wine and the bread. He is present in the bread and the wine. And the wine is poured out and the bread is broken because Jesus poured himself out for us. Jesus was broken for us. This is his humble offering, his mystical offering to his disciples here at this meal. And then Becca also commented that even in the style, and I love this, even the style of the art that she's working with there, um, it's imperfect. Um, it's the style that it would be called Americana or American folk art, um, sometimes called outside art, which feels appropriate to Jesus and his church. That all are welcome at this table, no matter where they're coming from. The common folk, everybody. So why do Jesus' followers gather around the table and share this family meal? Not only in this moment with Jesus in the upper room, but then it happens immediately at the birth of the church. In Acts chapter 2, immediately we find that they're breaking bread together. as one of their kind of ritualized things that they do when they get together. And then we see in the letters of Paul, he writes the church in Corinth, and he specifically addresses this, this holy meal that they share. So we're going to look at three reasons that Jesus' followers gather around the table sharing this family meal every week. First of all, is simply to remember Jesus. That's what he said, do this in remembrance of me. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. In remembrance of me. Now, if those... If you almost find yourself being able to say those words kind of halfway from memory, it's because that's exactly what we say at the table, the actual words of Scripture from the table. These are known as the words of institution. 
of communion. And the Holy Communion is celebrated differently in different churches. It's always celebrated with these words of St. Paul. Anywhere you go and they're celebrating communion, you are going to hear these words where Paul is quoting Jesus' instructions to remember him. Every time we take communion, we're remembering who Jesus is. We're remembering, therefore, who we are and how God's been at work reconciling the whole world to himself. Memory again, is at the center of identity. We don't know who we are. We lose ourselves if we lose touch with the memory that we have of our own life and of the story of the gospel that we live in. So at every Eucharist, we retell the story of God as creator. If you listen closely to the words of the prayers up here, there's a reference to God as creator and redeemer and then the one, the restorer, who in the end will come again and make all things new, once and for all. We retell that story. Every communion, we say these words. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. You made us. There's creation. God as creator. And when we had sinned against you and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent your only son, Jesus Christ, into the world for our salvation. Creation salvation. We're rehearsing the story. And in fact, this is just what the Jewish people have done for centuries, and they rehearse the story every Shabbat, every Sabbath. They rehearse the story of having been delivered out of Egypt and out of bondage, out of their oppression. And we continue telling that story of deliverance. It's a continuation of the same story that's now once and for all for all people, and not just the deliverance of the Jewish people, but the deliverance of all people. The story continues, and we remember it all with profound thanksgiving. In fact, that's what Eucharist, if you've heard the word Eucharist, that's what Eucharist means. It means thanksgiving, to give thanks. That's what we're doing at the table. So we share in this family meal in order to remember Jesus, which is essential to our own identity. We have to remember who God is. We have to remember what he has done, his promises, of what he will yet do. As we remember these things with gratitude, then we know who we are. We find ourselves within that story. We also share in this meal in order to, secondly, receive Jesus. We remember him, but also receive him. Jesus is present in the bread and the wine. So there's not just a kind of ritual act up here where we're rehearsing a history and remembering something. We're actually, right now, experiencing experiencing something. We are receiving Jesus in this moment in communion. He's present in the bread and the wine. When we eat the bread and drink the wine, we are receiving the real presence of Jesus. In our gospel reading, Jesus says, this is my body, which is for you. And this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. In John chapter 6, Jesus talks to his disciples about eating and drinking the, the flesh and blood of, of himself, of Jesus. And it sounded so odd to them, as it would to anybody, granted, so odd that this was like a watershed moment. In John 6, if you read what happens after that, moment, after that passage, where actually he says, this is my, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, um, some of them left him, and then some remained. And that's where Peter says, this is a hard teaching, Jesus. 
And there's a group of disciples that stay with him and a group of disciples that leave. Some people might look at these first two points, remembering Jesus, receiving Jesus, and think, wait a minute, are we, is, it, is it a memorial? Are we, is it a remembrance moment? Or are we actually receiving Jesus in the moment? Which is it? And the answer here is both. <laughs> it really is a both and kind of experience at the table. In our Anglican understanding of what's happening at the table, we see this as truly being an experience of the real presence of Jesus. In a mystical way, the bread and the wine usher us in to the very presence of God. He's uniquely present to us in this sacrament. We need something beyond our human control or capacity. And we enter into, God has provided that for us, where we enter into something that is mystical. We can't quite wrap our minds around it. And yet over and over, I've heard from so many of you in my own experience that there's, this, there's something, when there's time away from communion, it feels like there's a deep hunger for the presence of Christ to be met in that specific way. Yes, there are other ways of encountering the presence of Jesus in our life in our world, and especially in each other. But there's a hunger that we have for meeting Jesus in this sacrament. The same spirit who brooded, think of it this way, over the waters at creation, that same spirit, the same spirit who brooded over the womb of Mary as was new life and the presence of God being birthed into the world, that same spirit hovers over this table and over these elements. And there's something that happens when the Spirit hovers. And that's what, one of the ways that we understand what's happening when we take communion, that there is a Spirit-infused, filled kind of a, of a moment. So, by definition, a mystery is something that defies our total intellectual understanding. That's what a mystery is. And even so great a mind as C.S. Lewis couldn't find words and yet was drawn to the healing power, the healing power of Holy Communion. Here's what he said. Yet I find no, this is on Holy Eucharist he's talking about, I find no difficulty in believing that the veil between the worlds is nowhere else so thin and permeable to divine operation. Here a hand from the hidden country touches not only my soul but my body. Here the prig, the don, the modern in me have no privilege over the savage or the child. Here is big medicine and strong magic. The command, after all, was take, eat, not take, understand. <laughs> big medicine, strong magic. I love those words. Of course, he's using the word this magic in a poetic, Narnia kind of way. This, this other country, food from this other country that has come into ours and our space and time. Something about communion that restores us. I wonder if he knew of a church father named St. Ignatius of Antioch. who He only lived two generations after the first Christians in Acts 2. And not far from the dates of the New Testament writings, he, he wrote this. St. Ignatius said, Holy Communion is the one loaf which is the medicine of immortality and the antidote which wards off death but yields continuous life. In union with Jesus Christ, this conveyance of life. Like the first disciples with Jesus in the upper room and the 
first church in Acts chapter 2 and the church that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11. Again, all of these with all the followers of Jesus around the world today, on this day of worship, this Sunday, all over the world, believers doing the same thing. We gather for this family meal in order to remember Jesus and in that remember who we are and become more of who we are made to be. We remember, we receive Jesus, the mystical and real presence of Jesus. And then thirdly, why do we have this meal together as a family? It's to embody Jesus. To embody Jesus. In fact, that language uh, of embodiment, we are called the body of Christ in Scripture. Whenever we take communion into our bodies, when we are remembering and receiving him, we're literally living out what it means to be the body of Christ. Many parts, but one whole as the body. The word remember, in fact, think about this. Remember, pull that apart, to remember when you break it down. Something that has been dismembered, parts separated are made whole again. There's a remembering of the parts to each other and a wholeness that's reinstated in this act And that's what happens to us as a body. There's a sense in which as we come together around this family meal and we remember Christ in the bread and the wine, we are remembered as the body of Christ. We embody Christ together. Every time we take communion, we are enacting the gospel out in that way. Isn't that beautiful? It's like this silent sermon (laughs) that as we take communion together, the very act of, of being remembered to each other is the act of restoration of the God who makes all things whole, takes brokenness and heals it. The broken body and the shed blood of Jesus go into our bodies and into our lives and the cross has brought down the dividing walls between us, the dividing walls of hostility between people. It's a wordless sermon. Let me give you one example from scripture. Again, Paul Talking to the church in Corinth, he talks about communion quite a bit. And in chapter 11, here's an example of this kind of division. And Paul is saying, if anywhere it is here at this table, that the oneness of the body of Christ should be demonstrated, that you should be embodying Jesus. So he writes the Corinthians because of a severe problem that he hears there. He gets word of something happening in Corinth that deeply troubles him. Christians are getting together, and they're having this meal, and what's happening is that the wealthier people are eating well, while the poor people don't even eat. Because it's kind of like a sack lunch thing, where you bring your own food, and so the wealthy bring their food, and the poor don't have food to bring, and the wealthy indulge themselves on their food, and the poor don't eat. And, he, and Paul is appalled by this, no pun intended. He, uh, Paul writes them some pretty sharp words in this moment. This is really offensive to him. He puts the Lord's Supper in the context of justice and mercy and the unity of God's people. And here's what he writes. He says, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. The fact that they're doing communion, he's saying, what you're doing is actually doing more harm. Yes, you are having this Lord's Supper that you were commanded to do, but you're doing harm. 
in this, doing more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. So they think it is the Lord's supper, and what he's saying is, it's null and void. (laughs) It's not the Lord's supper. You think that's what you're doing, but that's not what you're doing because of the way you're doing it. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers, people bringing or preparing food and drink for themselves and feasting while others do not feast. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? Here's what he's saying. He's saying if you're going to ignore the poor, at least do it in your own own home where they don't see you. If you're going to live that way in relation to your brothers and sisters in Christ, at least do that in the privacy of your own home so that you are not putting them to shame. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Those are some strong words that really help us understand what's happening at communion at the Lord's table. So we remember Jesus. We receive Jesus. We also embody Jesus. And this kind of practice does not embody Jesus, is what Paul is saying. Do not come to the Lord's table with divisions among you, Paul says. The table proclaims the cross that brings down the dividing walls of hostility. When we come to the table, we're recognizing that there's not difference between us that matters. We are one body eating one loaf, drinking from one cup. And you know, something that's beautiful about how we do communion here, and, and this, is, this is not like a legalistic thing, and it has to be done uh, or else or by command of Scripture, but a beautiful thing in the way we do it is we have people here in the congregation, some of you are, are bakers. The bread you're eating was baked by someone at Christchurch. And that bread that is baked, all of us are eating bread that's from one batch of dough. And so there's a wholeness. So even as you, ta- as you are given a small piece of bread, it is part of the same batch of dough that everybody else is partaking of. And it's just this little, again, silent, wordless sermon. When you take communion, you are participating in the body of Christ with the whole body, literally and figuratively. So when we come to the table, we are remembering who we are, and, um, and this is also part of what it means to be who, who we are is a people unified together around Jesus. And that's why right before communion, we pass the peace. So that moment where we'll do this again today, after the creed and then the prayers, and I'll say the peace of Christ be with you, and you'll go around, and there's no way to do that with everybody in the room, but just around the people with you. You just say, may shalom be with you. The dividing, may the dividing walls of hostility between us come down. May peace exist among us. And we just say words, the peace of Christ to you, the peace of Christ to you, to a handful of people around us. But that is actually tied into what's happening at the table. It's not just a greet your neighbor at church moment. It does become that, which is awesome too. But it also has this kind of theological layer to it. So we come to the table table mindful of justice and mercy We come to the table in in solidarity with our brothers and sisters from around the world, every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
We come to the table remembering the broken body and shed blood for the forgiveness of sins. All of these layers are, are stacking up as we come to this table together. Lastly, I want to end with just some uh, practical kind of, of comment. Um, as you come to communion, you might have seen people around you. You might be in this practice yourself. If you come with your hands kind of up like this. Now, again, yes, there's a practical, uh, you, you've got to receive it. But you can have your hands at the side and then the bread comes and you reach up. But this posture like this, part of what we're communicating with that is I am not one who is here to take but simply to receive. And there's a difference between taking and receiving. There's this kind of like, I'm open-handed, and this is all grace. And Jesus in my life is, is given to me in a, in a spiritual sense, but also in that communion moment that whoever is serving places the bread into your hands, and there's this kind of act of, of just pure grace that we receive it. And so I just want to encourage you, if that's something that, be, that might become meaningful to you to remind you of the grace of God, there's nothing you can do uh, but simply receive the mercies and grace and love of God. That might be something that you want to practice. Another thing I want to mention, you might come forward with different kinds of attitudes of heart or mind. And um, every Sunday is different, even for uh, any particular person. Each Sunday might be different, and in the room, it might be different. I, I know that I feel this, and I think I speak for everybody up here who serves the bread and the wine. What an incredible privilege it is to be on this side. When you come up, um, we see your face. We, we see your eyes. And some of you, are, your eyes are smiling. I, there's joy. And there's just kind of something's going on for you. You're in a good place. It's a good day. It's been a good week. Or maybe there's some kind of event or something that was good news. Um, others might come up and I see, I can see in your eyes, there's just, there's some pain. I don't know what it's about, but I, uh, sometimes even you have tears that just are kind of welling up in that moment. Um, it might be that you're coming with contrition and a sense of repentance about something in the previous week that is heavy on your heart and you, you are unburdening and confessing and you're coming with that. All these postures are, are right and good. And in any given week, uh, you might find your place, yourself in a different place. So I, want to, I encourage you to kind of be... Maybe adopt the practice of awareness as you come up. Ask yourself, as you're coming for communion, where am I today? Am I coming today because I'm hungry and thirsty for God? Like maybe it's just there's an ache, a longing that you're feeling. I'm coming today because of repentance or, or remorse. That I'm, I'm bringing that in particular. That's what I'm aware of as I'm coming up. Or I'm coming up today with just a sense of adoration of God. For, uh, I, just, I just want to give God my life, my heart, praise him. That, that, that sense of adoration might be, or joy, or gratitude. So that practice of awareness helps bring kind of an extra layer of meaningfulness uh, as you come forward. So even today, I want to encourage you to, um, to practice maybe a couple of those things that add to the meaning of the moment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have this way to remember you, and as we remember you, uh, we are reminded of who we are, that you are in us, and literally in the bread and wine, and we are in you. 
and that that's our story. And we thank you that you have brought down the dividing walls of hostility between us and you, between us and each other. We thank you that none of us have any special standing before you. It is only grace. And our lives, really, throughout every day, every week, our lives are in a permanent posture of that standing with our hands outstretched. That's a picture of us always at your mercy and receiving your grace. And we thank you, Lord, that as we wait upon you, you never fail with your grace. Your name we pray. Amen.